Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to episode 191 of the Marathon Running Podcast, In this episode, we're going to talk about the 80-20 method with Matt Fitzgerald. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational. And let the Marathon Running Podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond. Aloha, runners, and welcome to episode 191. My name is Letty. My name is Ryan. And we are the hosts of the Marathon Running Podcast. Aloha, you guys, from the beautiful island of Honolulu, where we have been lucky enough to spend the last week and a half or so just enjoying, relaxing, and of course, getting some runs in. Honolulu is actually a city, and Oahu is the island. I knew that. (laughs) I I just misspoke. So... How are your New Year's resolutions going, Letty? They're going well. I mean, I've been putting in the speed work, like I've told myself, and I've also cleaned up my eating. Not that it was bad, but I've been paying more attention to really fueling my running. And how excited are you about having our guest today? So excited. Like almost uh, Alex Hutchinson interview excited type of excitement. Because you were jumping up and down when you were talking about it earlier. Yes, I love Matt Fitzgerald's books, and I never thought he would come on my podcast. And sometimes, you know, the lesson in this is all you have to do is ask. That's a very good, actually, advice for people. Um, Letty, do you use the 80-20 method? You know I do, right? I've been using this method for um, a couple years now. I feel like we're not spring chicken anymore, obviously. Speak for yourself. <laughs> The first couple years after the babies, I started running more often, trying to qualify for Boston. And during that time, I got injured a lot, plantar fasciitis, and then probably some overuse stuff with my ankle. And then I heard about this method, and I really slowed down. I was always running in this gray zone, they call it, where, you know, my when I run in the seven-minute pace, that's fast for me. But then there's really no use of running in the eights if I'm just running. So now my easy runs are in the nine minutes and up. And I haven't been injured. I feel fresh all the time. So yeah, I'm a big advocate for it. It makes a lot of sense too. I think um, it seems to be proven correct. 
Yeah, and if the Kenyans can do it, right? If they have their fast pace and if they run easy, then, you know, they also go to their training camps and they sleep a lot. And we, as normal runners, we don't do that. We run around and about with our days and families and do all these important things. So we never really get that rest that they do. And I'm not comparing us to them. I'm just saying it makes sense to have some really hard workouts and then give your body rest, but still be able to put the mileage in. Yeah, and honestly, I foresee like multiple potential benefits being that like when I always run you always kind of mildly want to push yourself and you end up like you say kind of in a gray zone where you're not really improving your speed by running faster but you're also setting yourself up potentially for injury also when you get to look at a run and see that you can run the run slower it might actually motivate you to go do it more And you might actually be more inclined to actually finish it because it's not as difficult. You know, you can, oh, I can take my time a little bit. In in which case, maybe you're more successful at even completing your goals. No, 100%. And that's how my daily runs are. I only have two days right now where I'm running faster. And I love the other days because I just kind of go easy. I don't look at my watch. It doesn't matter. I'm just getting miles in. So it's, it's kind of beautiful. So what did you talk about with Matt? Yeah, so with him, I just talked about understanding the basics and fundamental principles of this 80-20 method. We talked about how this method is has, has a scientific foundation, how it's been embraced by elite runners, how it's adaptable to all levels of runners, how there's different distances and training plans when it comes to that, and uh, a lot of other things, you know, balancing intensity and um long-term benefits. So really interesting stuff. You want to get into it? Sure. So without any further ado, I'm now going to play my conversation with Matt Fitzgerald. All right. So I'm on here with Matt Fitzgerald. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I'm a pleasure is mine. I'm absolutely excited to have you on. Super exciting. Um, But for the listeners that will haven't heard of you or have read your books, but don't really know about you, perhaps you can introduce yourself and just tell them who you are, what you do, and how you got into what you're doing now. Right on. Yeah. So um, I have been a runner most of my life. I started running when I was 11 years old, influenced by my father who who ran marathons back when I was growing up. Um, I've also been a writer most of my life or grew up wanting to write professionally. Um, and I also got that from, from my dad. My dad was a published novelist from the time I could first read. So I had the advantage of growing up knowing that you could do that, you know, <laughs> like writing could be your job. And I fell in love with writing when I was about nine years old. And I'm just one of those people who always knew what he wanted to do. Um, and I didn't really anticipate kind of writing about running, but that, that's the way it worked out. I was just able to marry those two passions. Um, I got into coaching um, and uh, also some entrepreneurship, uh, which was very accidental. Um, you know, I, I have a couple of um, you know endurance sports related businesses now. Uh, one of which is called Dream Run Camp, um, which is the uh, is newer. It, it's only been around a few months, so I moved to Flagstaff last year to open up Dream Run Camp, uh, which maybe we can get into later. Would love that absolutely. And you're talking about authoring books. So how many books have you published at this point? Probably around 20? Um, you know, um, 
more than that. <laughs> I mean, it, it sort of depends how you count. Cause like, you know, I have some that I've co-authored. Um, I have, um, you know, I've one that, that, or I've had a couple actually that are like, you know, journals. So, you know, it's mostly like blank pages, but you know, technically I'm the author of those. So if you count everything, it's more than 30 now. That's amazing. What an accomplishment. And from the running coaching books, which ones are the best sellers? You know, uh, to this day, I, I still believe that um, my book, uh, Racing Weight, if you count the two editions, there was a first and a second editions, um, you know, that came out when, um, you know, at the height of like, you know, all these diet crazes. And I was trying to kind of write an antidote because I saw all these runners, you know, going for the South Beach diet or whatever. I'm like, don't do that. Um, and so, you know, there's, a, there's some luck involved you know, in writing a book that ends up being successful, like there's a timing element. So that one was just beautifully timed. I, I wouldn't say it's my best work, but um, still, I think that's my best seller. And then How Bad Do You Want It um, is more, I'm, I'm very, very interested in the psychology of, of endurance sports. And that one's focused on, um, you know, the, the mind. Um, and that one has sold pretty well. And then 80-20 running, uh, like that's my top selling kind of nuts and bolts uh, training guide for, for runners. Yeah, amazing. Um, How Bad Do You Want It is one of the books I absolutely love too. But today we're going to hop into 80-20. And 80-20, for the listeners that don't know, is the principle of running 80% of your runs at a lower um pace versus 20% as a hard run. So maybe you can explain that better, the fundamental principles of 80-20 um, for those that are new to the concept and how that balance of running 80% lower and 20% higher contributes to an improved performance. Right on. You know, the thing I, I always stress um, when I'm asked that question is the origin of this way of training. Because, you know, there are training methods that just sort of like were invented by a person, you know, or like, you know, were deduced by a scientist. And that's not where the 80-20 method came from. Um, it originated um, in some observational studies done by an exercise physiologist named Stephen Seiler, where he just, um, he quantified the training of elite endurance athletes, and not just runners, but um, cross-country skiers, rowers, swimmers, and he just wanted to like understand like what what the best endurance athletes in the world are actually doing, and you know he noticed like this startling consistency because you know cross country skiers and swimmers don't really talk, <laughs> and yet he, you know and then you know you know you know runners in Japan don't necessarily talk to triathletes in Brazil, and yet they were all training very very similarly, um, and they were doing you know 80, about eighty percent of their training at low intensity. And if, if you rewind some decades, um, elite endurance athletes weren't training that way. So um, there was this, this kind of like trial and error process that led to a convergence, like all over the world, you know, at the elite level across endurance disciplines, which, you know, is pretty strong evidence uh, that athletes kind of figured out, you know, the best way to train. And then some, you know, the obvious next question is, well, does this also work for every day, you know? endurance athletes who, you know, aren't genetic lottery winners and aren't, you know, training 30 hours a week. And um, it appears that it is actually, you know, that what, what works best for the, the top athletes also works best. Um, and the other thing I should, uh, for, uh, works best for everyday athletes. And the other thing I should stress is that while, you know, the 80-20 method is practiced almost universally at the elite level, 
the average, you know, recreational, you know, the, the average competitive recreational runner only is more like a 50, 50 intensity balance. So, you know, unless you kind of like, uh, as, as a recreational runner, unless you make a conscious effort to train the way the pros do, you, you probably aren't going to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because, you know, we don't have the leisure of having the ability to rest as much as they do, right? They do their hard runs and then they lay around and they eat and then they maybe do a second <laughs> run at a slower pace and all that stuff. And for us, we have work, we have kids, we have probably a lot less sleep in our lives than they do. So that said, perhaps we can kind of talk about whether this slower running, is there a rule of thumb to it? Does every person or should every person add three minutes to their slow runs or a certain percentage or how does that work? What's the best approach for that? Yes. Uh, so what, what appears to really matter is um, this certain threshold of intensity known as the first ventilatory threshold or VT1. Um, and, you know, if you train by heart rate, uh, for the typical athlete, it's that falls somewhere around 77 to 81% of your maximum heart rate. And I should say your true maximum heart rate, not that 220 minus your age formula that is wildly accurate for uh, inaccurate for almost everyone. So, um, so that's like, that's where, um, exercise scientists now place kind of the, the boundary between low and moderate intensity. Um, for exercise. And, and the reason it's ma it matters is that if you're just below that threshold, um, it's the effort is you're still exercising, but it's very gentle uh, on your um, uh, nervous system, your autonomic nervous system. And so you can handle a lot of it and you can recover very quickly from it. And the reason it's considered a threshold is that if you go from just below it to just above it, there's a big, there's a jump in how stressful it is. It's not that it's bad to be above it, um, you just don't want to be above it when you don't intend to be, you know, when you're intending to be doing low intensity exercise, you need to be below it. Um, cause you'll just generate, you'll get almost all the benefit and you'll generate a lot less fatigue. So your body can absorb it better. And then when it's time, you know, to do the faster running, uh, your, your body's more ready for it. You get more out of it and the whole thing hangs together nicely. So what, you know, most runners are doing is when they, intend to go out and do a low intensity run they're actually above that first ventilatory threshold not a lot but you know a little bit matters and so they're really not getting um you know as much benefit as they could be if they slow down just a little bit okay so 77 to 80% of the max ventilatory threshold and for those of us who just have a garmin or we have a garmin that probably doesn't work is not accurate I'm going to ask you the question, is there something like a run that is too slow for this? In theory, yes. Uh, in practice, I've never seen it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just not something that people do. Um, people don't accidentally uh, go too slow. So, um, you know, there's not a ton of science um, and it's probably a little bit squishy anyway. But, you know, if the question is like, you know, how slow is too slow? Um, a good rule of thumb is that you need to be, um, unless you're like an absolute beginner, like just getting up off the couch, uh, you need to be above 60% of your maximum heart rate to get a meaningful, you know, stimulus from, from the run. 
Um, you know, so if your you know maximum heart rate is 200 beats per minute, um, then you would need to be at, at or above 120 beats per minute for it to kind of count <laughs> as exercise. Okay, yeah, I like that because. I mean, even if you're just moving, you're probably going to be able to hit that pace that is enough to yes. have some kind of benefit. And you're, manage you're mentioning that there are benefits. So what are the benefits that we get when we don't run above the 77, 80% of our heart rate? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the core benefits of you know, low intensity exercise are, you know, it is, you know, you do get aerobic conditioning. So It strengthens your heart. It strengthens your circulatory system. Um, you know, the, um, you know, the whole, you know, machinery of aerobic metabolism inside muscle cells is strengthened by low intensity exercise. Um, uh, you know, and there's, you know, some nuance to it. You know, when you're at low intensity, you're, you're burning mostly fat. So your body gets better at burning fat, which is really beneficial, just, um, helps you increase endurance. Um, so those are like the core benefits of exercising at low intensity, but, you know, one of the benefits is that because it's so gentle, you can do a lot of it and it becomes the gift that keeps on giving. So if you take advantage of that, it's like, you know, I will exercise more Then then the benefits pile on and you start to really gain some, some endurance benefits like fatigue resistance. Um, but th those, that sort of second level of benefits only kicks in. Once you start boosting the volume, like if you make those um, low intensity runs longer or you in, in, uh, increase your frequency of running, you know, more runs per week, those types of things. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And on the flip side, what happens if you are above that threshold besides the obvious, probably getting some kind of injury because of lack of fatigue? What can happen if you are running your runs just too fast? Yeah, I mean, that, that's mainly it. You know, again, it's like, it's not as if it's bad for you, you know, um, it's just, it is more intense. Um, and so, you know, what appears to happen is that when, 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 you know, you, you take the typical runner who's spending about 50% of their total weekly running time above that threshold, not way above it, uh, but sort of in the kind of no man's land, you know, that, that gray zone, like not, not easy, not hard. Um, You, you just end up generating um, fatigue that your body's just never, it never has a chance to fully process because the next time you run, you're right above that threshold again. So you're just, the analogy I like to make is to like chronic mild sleep deprivation. So, you know, if you need eight hours of sleep a night and you get seven, you can function and you might not, you might not have any idea how much better you would feel and function unless you start getting that extra hour. You know what I mean? Um, and so with runners who are kind of stuck in that moderate intensity rut, it's very similar. You know, th they do get fitter, but they have no idea if they just, you know, slow down their easy runs, how much better they would feel and how much you know, more quickly their body would be able to adapt to the training because they're not just carrying around unresolved fatigue all the time. Yeah. And from your experience of, you know, kind of coaching people, telling them how to do this, can you maybe give us some examples of how you've seen people improve, how long of uh, time it took for them to improve yep. and then ultimately what the improvements were time-wise? Yes. Um, so, I mean, you know, 
to, to be perfectly honest, it, it, it is initially a difficult transition for a lot of runners to make because you know, you're breaking an ingrained habit and habit change of any kind. It's hard. And it just, you know, it, it feels weird to a lot of runners to, to, you know, hold themselves back. Um, so there can be, you know, difficulty with buy-in or, um, you know, runners sometimes uh, feel uncomfortable, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I just, you know, I just feel kind of unnatural running that slow. But, you know, if you get, you know, I, I just tell, I tell runners like, you know, give it a chance. Um, you know, you will come up the other side of it. So, you know, when runners do give it a chance, the first benefit that they start noticing is, is they just like, you know, there was, a, you know, often like this is little subtle strain in your, in your quote unquote easy runs that aren't all that easy that you didn't really notice was there until you slow down a bit. And so that's the first thing runners often notice is like, oh, wow, this actually feels easy now. Like it's, you know, it's comfortable. Um, and, 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 and then often because you're not taxing yourself as much in these easy, these easy runs, when you run again, you feel fresher, like you feel better from the start. So just a perceptual change. It's like, oh, you know, this is more comfortable than it used to be. And then, you know, maybe starting to look forward to the runs a little more, dreading them uh, a little less, you know, actually feeling better at the end of a run than you did at the start. Um, so that that sort of gets the hooks in a lot of runners because it just it's it's fairly immediate and they're feeling better in terms of like the performance benefits. Those take longer, um, though. I will say this um, something I guess I would say the the next <laughs> benefit that kicks in is performing better in like you know your key workout um because again you know the 80 20 rule is not the 100 zero rule you know 20 percent of the time you're supposed to be running hard and if you're really truly taking it easy when you're supposed to be taking it easy you're fresher for the hard runs and so you feel better in those runs you perform better you start crushing workouts that you just you, you used to just survive you know what i mean um and so that also is reinforcing, you know, when runners see that, they're like, I like this. You know, I, I like crushing my interval workouts. And then, you know, it's a, then you, you get to racing, which gets the final. And that's when, when athletes perform better in races, then they're really committed. You know, there's no going back at that point. Um, you know, and that can take, um, I mean, it can happen in as little as six weeks or so, um, you know, six, eight weeks where you're actually, you know, you're starting to lower your PRs and, and that type of thing. And, and some of the, you know, so, sometimes the improvement is pretty dramatic. Um, I've just got a chance recently to see some unpublished research um, by some folks who, who make a wearable where they've been tracking intensity balance with, you know, people who got out of that moderate intensity rut and became more disciplined in, in following an 80-20 intensity balance, like, you know, like a I think one of them, like 11 to 14% improvement in performance, which is gigantic, you know, for an athlete who's already been racing for, for a while. So yeah, true breakthroughs can happen when, when you commit. That's so amazing. And thank you for sharing that. I know that it's uh, kind of goes against what we think with everything, right? Because if you're, for example, trying to learn how to play the piano, you don't play the piano slower than on your performance day. So logically yeah. to us, it doesn't make sense. But um, besides that, why do you think it's so hard for a lot of runners to slow down when when they run? 
I think I I honestly think the number. I mean, you, you definitely highlighted one of the reasons that it's counterintuitive. Um, there's this famous quote from the runner Emil Zatopek, who was like a multiple Olympic champion back in the 1940s and 1950s before the 80-20 method was discovered. And he said, like, why would I want to train slow when I'm trying to race fast? And and so, you know, that's the mindset for a lot of runners. Um, and so that that's one big reason, you know, the counterintuitiveness. Um, but also, you know, there, there's research showing that if you if you just tell someone to do unstructured exercise and to choose their own intensity, there's this, this automatic tendency to choose a moderate intensity. Um, and, you know, I, my theory, it's speculative. My theory is because there's there's two competing instincts that people take into unstructured exercise. One is the instinct to get it over with. Right. So, you know, it's like we're, like we're task oriented. So, um, you know, if you have a, a pile of, um, you know, wood that needs to be chopped, you don't want to spend all day chopping it. You want to get the wood chops. So you can shower and have a nice cup of hot chocolate. Um, so that, you know, that instinct to get it over with makes you want to go fast. But we also have an ingrained instinct to not want to suffer unnecessarily. And of course, the faster you run, the more it hurts. Um, so that instinct makes you want to go slower, right? And so, you end up having these two competing instincts, get it over with, which makes, makes you go more intensely, um, don't suffer, which makes you go less intensely. When you compromise between those instincts without really thinking about it, where do you end up? Moderate intensity. And I really think that that's the number one reason. That's kind of that foundation of why pretty much everyone does this. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't realize it, but it does make sense. You know, the task, we got to get it done. At the same time, we don't want to suffer too much. And then, of course, there's Strava, right? Social media, the game of comparison, comparing ourselves to other people, even though they have completely different lives. But we want to show up and uh, show a faster pace because we don't want anyone to think that we're slow people because somehow now we think that's something bad so that's um really really unfortunate so um yeah so with that how do people that are interested in approaching this 8020 method get started is there any kind of correlation with that in the heart rate um method yep. as well yeah so um you know that's step number one is to like you, you need to figure out where, where that threshold is the v, the vt1 um you know that you know, you can't really just guess. It, it requires some form of, of testing. Um, you know, you know, the gold standard is to go into an exercise lab, do like a lactate threshold or VO2 max test where you're, you know, you're breathing into one of those masks and they can tell you, oh, your VT1 is exactly here. Here's what heart rate you're at. Here's what speed you're at. Um, but there are other ways. There's sort of like, you know, rough and ready ways to find it. One is, as a, you, you know, Pretty reliably, if you're like, you know, between 75 and 80 percent of your maximum heart rate, you're probably on the safe side of the VT1. So you need to know your true maximal heart rate. Uh, you know, the one size fits all formulas are they don't fit all. <laughs> so um, often like you can just like if you've been running and you've been doing like some harder workouts, you can just look back at your data and say like, okay, what's the highest heart rate my device has ever recorded? And that's probably pretty close to uh, your maximum heart rate, and then so you would just take seventy-five to eighty percent of that. If you're um, if you're doing a, uh, uh, you know, if you if you prefer to train by pace, um, 
the uh, the VT1 corresponds to about uh, 65% of your maximal aerobic speed. So that's 65% of the highest speed that you could hold for uh, six to seven minutes. So you can do, you know, some kind of like time trial where you just go out and uh, run as fast as you, you know, cover as much distance as you can in six minutes, calculate the velocity, you know, the average velocity you sustain for that six minute test, and then multiply that by 0.65. And that will give you a number that's pretty close to your, um, for your VT1 for, for pace. If you, if you're someone who prefers to train by pace, you can also do it by power. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, wh whatever your preferred, you know, metric is for monitoring intensity, you know, you can, you can, you know, dial in your, you know, your zones, you know, using that metric. Okay, perfect. And then what I was going to ask you about the heart rate also, you've heard about the heart rate method, how running at a certain heart rate makes you eventually go faster because your heart rate will adjust. Can you maybe go into that a little bit? Sure thing. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, your, your heart adapts to running, uh, more than just about any other organ uh, of your body. Um, and not, not just the heart, but the, you know, the entire cardiorespiratory system, it's all, all linked together. So, you know, if you go from, you know, being a couch potato to, to being a runner, Uh, your heart muscle will actually grow, you know, just like, you know, when your biceps grow, when you do a bunch of, bunch of curls, um, it gets more, uh, powerful. It has like, uh, uh, higher contractile capacity. Um, and so, um, and then like your, your blood will change also your blood volume increases. Um, you get more red blood cells. So every time your heart contracts, you're sending more of the good stuff, oxygen and other stuff to your uh um you know to to your muscle your working muscles so what happens over time is that you'll notice uh your uh, you know as you get fitter through running your resting heart rate will decrease because your heart is stronger it just doesn't have to beat as often uh because it beats more more powerfully and you'll also notice that um excuse me at any given pace of running your heart rate is lower um, and at any given heart rate, you're running faster. Um, that also has to do with like changes in efficiency. So, um, you, know, you know, monitoring heart rate um, is, uh, a, a, you know, a, just a, a good way to track, uh, you know, these, um, you know, beneficial adaptations to the running you're doing. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, uh, yeah, I guess get a good heart rate monitor and get going with this um, just in order to help yourself. Um, any Other tips for runners and uh, how and why they should approach this method and give it a chance. Yeah. So one other thing I would recommend is like, yeah, you, you have to find where your threshold is. Um, you know, you have to know, you know, what is low intensity for me versus moderate intensity. And the other thing you have, you need to do is plan. Um, so like, okay, you got your zones dialed in. You want to give this 80-20 thing a chance. You're still not that likely <laughs> to actually train with an 80-20 intensity balance unless you have a plan that is 80-20, right? Um, and um, so that just means, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, nothing explodes if it's not exactly 80-20, you know, like it's uh, approximate is close enough, but it does require some planning. And it's usually a matter of like you set aside maybe um, depending on how many times per week you run. Um, but let's say you run six days per week. So you have one day off and you run six days. So if 
if two of those days you are um, doing intervals or tempo runs, like you're, you're, you know, planning to work at higher intensities and the other four runs are planned to be entirely at low intensity, maybe including a long run at low intensity. If you, you know, plan a week in that way, so like, you know, one out of every three runs is focused on moderate or high intensity, you'll probably end up pretty close to an 80-20 intensity balance as long as you're disciplined about, you know, staying at low intensity when you intend to. Yeah, and a lot of the times it's your body too that tells you, hey, I'm tired, I'm feeling tired, and maybe it's a good idea to just kind of go with what you're feeling and not looking at the watch so much just because, you know, if you're fatigued, then you probably need that extra time for recovery. Yes. I mean, you know, initially it's hard for people to trust their perceptions, you know, because that's what got them into this mess in this first place. Leo, that, I call it intensity blindness, where it's like, coach, I swear I'm at low intensity. I'm like, I'm sorry, the data doesn't lie. You're not really at low intensity. But once you've, you know, that's a good point you raised because obviously no matter whether you were trained by pace or heart rate or power, um, you always feel what you're doing, right? So once you find like, you know, that, that threshold and you know, and, and you, you go out and you run at a heart rate that is below the threshold, well, you, now you know what that feels like, right? Um, and then, you know, going forward, you can rely on how you feel. Whereas previously, before you, you did that calibration, you couldn't uh, rely on, on how you feel. But, you know, it's nice just to be able to trust <laughs> how you feel and, and let it decide as you suggested. Yeah, no, exactly. So, yeah, thank you, Matt, so much for coming on. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back on another time about the book, How Bad Do You Want It? No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Happy to come back. And, uh, yeah, I'm always working on new stuff. So love talking about it. Uh, I appreciate the forum. Thank you, Matt, for speaking with me and telling us about all this awesome stuff. We really appreciate when experts come on, like Matt, to give us their thoughts and all the information they've gathered. It helps everyone else, all the runners become faster or better runners. And that's ultimately what the whole point of this podcast is. So that's it for today, you guys. We're going to make this a little bit shorter of an outro. We've got 24 hours left on Oahu in Honolulu. And we're going to enjoy that. Ryan, what do you feel like we should be doing today? I think we should go on a hike because we don't have a lot of those in Florida. And then maybe end at the beach and watch the sunset. Sounds good. All right. So stay tuned. If you want to see that, you can see it on Instagram because... I'm going to commit. I'm going to post a video about it. <laughs> If you don't see a video, you forgot. I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> so with that. Have a great week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information and marathon running news, please head to www.marathonrunningpodcast.com and we'll be back next week. Thank you.